0: Take your Bible, would you, and go with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, ponder this question, why did Jesus come to earth? Why didn't he just stay with the Father in heaven? In our earlier study at the beginning of this chapter, it was two weeks ago, we heard John call to believers to live in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. Now he calls to believers in Jesus Christ to live in light of his first coming. Now he's calling to believers to remember and And to take great confidence in the fact that Jesus came to earth. And to think about why he came. Last week we saw here the problem of sin. Today we see the solution of sin. The solution came in the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to see here why Jesus came to earth. The hope that's ours today because he did is what we'll see. So I want you to look with me at 1 John chapter 3. We return to verse 4 where we looked last week. We looked at this passage last week, and I told you last week, Lord willing, here we would be today again in these same verses to to look at the solution to the problem of sin. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read through verse 10. Verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we saw the problem of sin, its nature, and why sin is such a problem Our last time together in this passage. In verse 4, John stated that everyone who makes a practice of sinning is also practicing lawlessness. The very nature of sin is that of lawlessness, it is rebellion against God and God's righteous and holy standard. In fact, The way John writes this is to say that lawlessness and sin are one in the same. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. And as such, it is rebellion against God. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? And yet... I don't think we often see our sin in that light. I mean, the things that we deal with, the things that we struggle with, we might even have something we kind of harbor and, and keep to ourselves that God calls sin. We don't quite see at times, we don't always see, our sin in the serious light that, that we think of it here. That's not to say that we don't see the seriousness of the sin of other people, is it? We see the sin of other people and we go, that's serious, shame on them. Someone should do something about that, especially when I get cut off in traffic. I go, where's a police officer when you need one? <laughs> that's a foolish driver. Where's a police officer when you need one? I wish I still had… Anyway. I wish I could still pull people over and give them tickets. We can see other people's sin, can't we? And yet, sometimes we can be guilty of excusing our own. So it's critical for followers of Jesus Christ to see their sin in this serious light. When we see that we're practicing lawlessness... We're practicing rebellion against the just and righteous laws of God. It's kind of a wake-up call for us, isn't it, to take our own sins seriously, to take them to the Lord and ask for His help with them, and to seek for His help in His Word, and to listen to the preaching of the Word for help with the things that we deal with that are, that are sin. But when we don't take things seriously, when we don't take these sinful things in our lives seriously, it becomes much easier for us to practice sin while also avoiding guilt. Not only is sin lawlessness, John makes it clear that the lawlessness of sin is even more troublesome when he tells us that the practice of sin is actually taking sides with the devil. Verse 8 points to that. Look at verse 8 again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, we noted here last time also that this passage reveals two groups of people. There are two groups of people on earth. Verse 10 says, look at verse 10 by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So along with verse 10 is this distinction that we saw last time. You can see it here in verse 10. A true believer, a person who has genuinely repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, does not make a practice of sinning. John states it in the negative in verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. This is very much like what we see in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And then in verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And put another way, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now I want you to note that John is, has not said, he is not saying that a true follower of Jesus Christ does not sin. But he is saying that they don't make a practice of sinning. A believer in and follower of Jesus Christ does not continually, habitually, willfully, and unrepentantly Practice sin and there is a very good reason for this which points us to the purpose for Christ's first appearing we can see it in verses 5 and 8 note the first part of verse 5 look at verse 5 again you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and look at the last half of verse 8 The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And early here in 1 John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, again, all of this from John's pen, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes, and this is what God wants us to know, John writes, John challenges Christ's followers to live for Christ and not for sin. Pursue Christ, pursue obedience, do not pursue sin. And then pointing to God, the Father's love for his children, John reminds us that everyone who hopes in Jesus purifies himself. Purifies himself as Jesus is pure. And so he reminds believers that people who look forward to the second coming of Christ, if you're properly anticipating the second coming of Christ, you are also living in the light of His first coming. You are rejoicing that He came. You live in anticipation of His return, and you seek to purify yourself so that you will be ready for His return, so that you will not be ashamed when you see Him. And you live in anticipation of this. You live for Jesus and for His glory, and you live in light of why He came to liberate you from sin's bondage. That's a great reminder for us. Jesus Christ will return one day. And we ought to be living to be ready, as we heard John say back in chapter 2, verse 28, you are to abide in him so that when he appears you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What a good and necessary reminder to us to look forward to our Lord's return and prepare ourselves for His return. But I feel a tension here. And I wonder if you note the tension. I wonder if you sense the tension. There's a tension here if you're a believer in Jesus. There are very likely times in your life when you feel defeated or deflated and powerless to beat the sin in your life, to win over the things that that burden you that are sin in your life. I, I certainly feel that tension in my life at times. You want to live for Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to live for Him. You want to defeat sin. You want to say no to sin. You want to glorify God with your life. But do you ever feel like that's impossible? Do you ever feel like at times it's impossible? There are times in our lives as believers, aren't there, when we feel as though we'll never be rid of sin. When will I be rid of this anchor? When will I be done with this besetting sin? Now, in a way, that's true. As long as we're living in this fallen world, we won't be done with sin. We've seen it here in 1 John that followers of Christ do still sin. And we will have to continue to deal with sin this side of heaven as we await Christ's return. But the sermon doesn't end there. Thank the Lord. There's also a hope giving message from John that one day that will all be behind us. There is hope. There is light. And this is the truth of God's Word, that one day that will all be behind us. Those things that that discourage us at times that we think, when will I be done with that sin? Why is that still lingering in my life? I want to honor God. I want to please Him. Why do I feel so weak and powerless against that It ought to remind us that one day it will not be so. One day that will all be behind us if we are believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, he writes that what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And that is a wonderful future hope that we ought to be encouraged by every time we find ourselves discouraged with the ease with which we still sin. That's a future hope. But I want you to see today that there is not only future hope, there is present hope. Not only do we have future hope, we have hope for today. We have present hope. Verse 9 is a, I think verse 9 is a blazing light of hope for the follower of Jesus Christ today. We see it in two phrases in verse 9. I want you to look at verse 9 again. John writes, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And then again in verse 9, he cannot keep on sinning. Now, you might say, well, that that sounds good. That sounds good, but how can I know that the true follower of Christ will not continually, willfully, and unrepentantly practice sin? The believer in Jesus will not go on willfully and unrepentantly sinning because the believer in and follower of Jesus Christ has Christ living in them through the indwelling presence of God the Spirit. Look at verse 9 again, where John says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so what we see here is that your hope is is not in your own strength to defeat sin in your life. You look to Christ, and you hope, and you take confidence in His promises. It's what Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse twenty-one or 27 calls the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. That's our hope. That's our promise. It's Christ in believers. It's Christ in us who will help us. Put another way, the believer practices righteousness not by willpower but by spirit power. It's not a just do it kind of spirituality here. It's a take a step of obedience as you trust the Holy Spirit's power to help you say no to sin along the way. It's not by willpower. It's by spirit power. The believer will not practice habitual sin because they have received a supernatural rebirth that is not of themselves. It's of Christ, the sinless one. We see it here. Now there's a question that comes in many forms, but it's often a question that we ask when we begin to wonder, am I really a child of God? I'm still fighting sin. Am I really a child of God? Well, that's not a wrong question to ask. The passage before us, in fact, compels us to ask ourselves that question when we hear in verse 10, by this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? So that's a natural question as we read this passage, and this is actually a good question for people in the church to ask themselves. We ought never assume that because our name is on the membership roll that it's done, that I am in heaven for sure, I'm I'm good. We ought never assume that we are God's child. There ought to be evidence in our lives that confirms it for us, that gives us confidence that, yeah, I know I'm fighting sin, but I see hope that I am God's child. I I see and I know that I feel guilt and shame for my sin, and I turn to Christ for help to say no to sin. There ought to be evidence in our lives that affirms our faith in Christ. So this passage compels you to, to ask, in which group am I? In which group am I? Whose child am I? A child of God or a child of the devil? And not only does the passage compel you to ask the question, it also gives you two tests to help you answer the question. And this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time. Test one is the test of righteousness and test two is a test of love. What John is showing us is that even though we aren't fully what we will be on that day that we see Christ, there will be evidence today as to whose we are now. God knows whose we are now. God knows whose you are now. But your neighbor doesn't know whose you are without seeing fruit. I mean, we can talk all day. day. I'm sure you don't want me to talk all day. But we can talk all day and all we want about how we love God and love our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we want our lives to glorify God But the truth is, the way we live is really what does the talking. The way we we live. It's it's the fruit that people can see that does the talking. Remember back in verse 3, John stated that we are God's children now, and he's speaking of believers in Jesus Christ. I want you to see the two tests we find in verse 10 that point to the evidence that will tell you whose you are now. If you're God's child, you'll pass the test. Whether you're the Lord's or the devil's, you'll know when you examine these two tests, two kinds of evidence, two tests that ought to be evidence for you to have confidence that you're God's child Also, two tests that ought to be evidence for your fellow believers, those around you, to see. They'll be able to see the fruit that you're a child of God, whose you really are. And these two tests will also be a testimony to the world and your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members that they should be able to see whose you really are. Here's test one. It's the test of righteousness. John says in verse 10, "...whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God." Now, what is righteousness? Is it perfection? Some might say it's perfection, or you're righteous if you're perfect. No, it's not perfection. Not not perfection. That's not what John is pointing to. Note when he says in verse 6 that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And, And when he says that, he's not suggesting that sinlessness and and when he says in verse 7 that whoever practices righteousness is righteous that he is not suggesting sinless perfection what we need to understand is that the true follower of jesus while not sinless or perfect does not continually and habitually and unrepentantly practice sin and so what does it mean for the believer to practice righteousness Well, it means first that the believer in Jesus desires to practice righteousness. You have a desire to please God. You have a desire to practice obedience to God. And if you do have that desire, then then you're likely taking steps to place yourself under the Word of God by reading the Bible yourselves, by listening intently to the preaching and teaching of the word of God as it's proclaimed so that you take the truths of God into your heart and mind and life and let them change you as the spirit does his work helping you strengthening you so that you can say no to sin and so the practice of righteousness will require something from you but it begins with this desire to please God do you have a desire to please God? The practice of righteousness will also require what Paul points to in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 when he writes, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You may not always get this right, but at heart, your desire, do you have this desire that that I, I, I know I need to put myself on the back burner, I need to put Christ on the front burner, I need to... I need to make my life count for Christ. I, I'm not all about trying to please myself. I'm, I'm struggling with this. But do we feel that tension? And Paul's instruction in Galatians suggests that you learn to walk in obedience to God as with the Spirit of God at work in you, you seek to put off the fleshly pursuits that lead you to sin, and you put on the Christ-honoring pursuits that lead you to righteousness. As imperfect as you are, where is your desire? Where is your heart? Does your heart draw you to desire to please God, to desire to live for Him, to seek His help, to ask for His help in prayer, to seek wisdom from His Word, to, to seek it out in the, in the preaching of the Word? And as you submit yourself to God's Word and you take steps to walk With Christ, by the power of the Spirit of God in you, you put on the righteousness of Christ. He's righteous. That's why this passage calls you righteous. Not because you're perfect, but because he's righteous. He's perfect. And with his help, you learn to obey and you choose not to sin. With his help, you do not do this in your own power. You do it with the power of Christ in you. Even when faced with temptation, He is there to help you. Say no. You need Christ's help for that. And you have Christ and His power to help you because Jesus Christ came to take away sin. So not only do you have the second coming of Christ to look forward to you also have the reality and the purpose of his first coming to rejoice in and to take great hope in as you learn to fight present temptation to sin the Christian life isn't isn't a list of don't-dos, don't-dos, don't-dos. It's, it's really about trusting Him, leaning on Him, going to the Word for the resource that He's given you, depending upon the strength of the Holy Spirit, asking for the strength and wisdom of God, and then seeking to take steps of obedience that please God, and He gives you power along the way and strength and courage for the fight. And you can rejoice in the fact that Jesus can take away sin because he is sinless. And he rose from the dead to prove it. He's the only one who can conquer sin. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't keep on sinning, but you pursue the practice of righteousness because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So that's the test of righteousness And the results of the test point to whether you're a child of God or a child of the devil. The evidence of whose you are should also be evident to those who know you best and those who spend time around you. I like the point that J. Vernon McGee made, the late J. Vernon McGee, wrote of Dr. James McGinley, who used to say, I'm not to judge you, but I am to be a fruit inspector and McGee went on to note that we ought to be able to find a little fruit on our fellow believers your fellow believers ought to be able to recognize some fruit in your life if you're a child of God will they call you perfect? (laughs) no they won't but they ought to see some fruit J. Vernon McGee was right. We ought to be able to find a little fruit on our fellow believers. Our fellow believers ought to be able to find a little fruit on us. Not that we're fruity. Not that we're all cracked pots. Sometimes that's obvious. Sometimes not so. But they ought to be able to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in us, bringing bringing growth, bringing growth and life by the work of the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us as, as they see us struggling with life, struggling through the challenges of life and, and sometimes getting it wrong and, and having to repent and confess our wrongs and, and showing that we're changing. When others inspect our lives, they ought to see the growing fruit of righteousness. Not that we're perfect, but that we're growing in righteousness, that we're growing in obedience, now the second test we see here in verse 10 it's the test of brotherly love John points to this at the end of verse 10 and it's really an introduction to the verses that follow he writes in verse 10 whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God and don't skip the last phrase nor is the one who does not love his brother there is always a test of love when testing the genuineness of faith in Christ the true follower of Jesus Christ will love fellow believers in Jesus again we go back to will he do that perfectly no we live selfishly at times don't we sometimes far more often than we know we want to But this ability to love one another, this is also not of ourselves. This ability to say no to our selfish ambitions and to look out of our lives and outside of what's going on in our lives and looking at the people around us and realizing these are people who need encouragement and help, strength along the way, and and God has put me in their life. What can I do to be a help and encouragement to them? This ability to love one another also comes only by the power of Christ in us. We have the new nature. We can rejoice in that. But we all have this lingering old nature that's going to battle and going to war against the new nature. We have this new nature and the old nature and there's this tension going on, the new nature is that nature of Christ-likeness. This is not of ourselves, praise God. It's because we're saved and redeemed and adopted into the family of God and, and given new life in Christ by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and we've been given the Word. And He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world, and yet He who is in the world is sometimes that old nature that draws us the other way. The good news is that the new nature is part of that new birth through faith in Jesus Christ and because God's seed abides in the believer the believer has the love of Christ dwelling in them, working in them drawing them to love their brothers and sisters in Christ and to love those who need Christ. And That's a reminder that this love is only lived out by the power of Christ in us. The good news is that this New nature is at work in us by the power of Christ with the resource of the Word. The Holy Spirit takes up the resource of the Word and brings it to our thinking and brings it to our minds and brings it to our living and corrects us when we get it wrong. We need the Word. We need the Holy Spirit. And we have them and we can praise God for them. And so love for your fellow believer will also be your aim if you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Again, sometimes we struggle with this because by, by old nature, we're, we're creatures of, of self. That's why I say that sin is a three-letter word with the, with the letter I in the middle because it's all about the I. It's all about me. And we find ourselves struggling with this all the time in every relationship We bring to our relationships our own selfishness, the old nature at war with the new nature if you're a follower of Christ. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have Christ in you. You have the work of the Holy Spirit in you who is tugging at your heart at times to to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up if you don't always get this right. Lean on his help. Know that if you're his, you have the Holy Spirit to help you love one another. Love for your fellow believers will be your aim if you are Christ. And to learn to love as God loves, you put yourself under, again, you put yourself under the authority of God's word. This is how he has chosen to speak to you and to give you his wisdom. You need to take up the word, and his Holy Spirit will use the word to instruct your heart and your mind. And you put yourself under the authority of the Word and you receive the Word of God as you read it and you receive the Word of God as you hear it preached and you yield to the Spirit of God as He shapes you into the likeness of Christ with the truth of His Word. The test of righteousness and the test of brotherly love, those are the tests that reveal whose you are. And there is no better proof of your belonging to Christ and no better witness to the world than your life lived for Christ and your love demonstrated toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. This will be a blazing testimony to the world around us if we love the Lord heart and soul and mind and strength and love our brothers as we already love ourselves. And there is no better hope for today than to know that Christ is working in you now as you see the positive evidence of the tests, the test of righteousness and the test of love. Am I striving to please God? Is my desire to please God? Am I taking steps to love my brother and sister in Christ? Am I, am I committed to this? Am I committed to submitting myself to God's word? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves this morning. I don't think any of us can escape those questions. We need them. We need to hear them. We need to apply them to our own lives. We had a joyful occasion yesterday with our family, sending off our third son into marriage, receiving our third daughter-in-law. What a joyful day. And and I was sitting at the table at the reception with one of my daughters-in-law, and we were uh, sitting with some singles. And she and I, the two individuals at the table who were married, she to my son, and were remarking about how weddings are good reminders, probably almost more important sometimes for people who are married. And more convicting sometimes for people who are married, to hear the vows recited and to be reminded of what's required of us because and we kind of identified with the struggle that goes on when two individuals are are married and become one before God they struggle to be one there's still this challenge it's the same with us as individual believers in the church God has joined us together he calls us the body of Christ the church and yet we are many members And we, as many members, tend to go our own way. And yet, constantly, we've got to ask ourselves what's my true desire? Is my desire to please God? Is my desire to please Him? Is my desire to be obedient to Him and love my brother in Christ? If so, you will take up the Word, and you will live by the power of the Spirit, and you will live in victory even as you face times of struggle because you're looking forward to the return of Christ and you're living in light of the, the first coming of Christ when he came to take away sin by his shed blood and his resurrection. And so believers lean on him, turn to his word, trust him, take steps to be obedient, and know the joy of the Lord as your strong.